The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Get an update from the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped and learn how Google is including accessibility as part of its product development. Welcome to ACB Reports for September 2014. Karen Kenninger, director of the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, has become a popular speaker at the annual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind. This month, ACB Reports presents her National Library Service update from this year's conference in Las Vegas. It is a real pleasure to be here at ACB to talk to you about the things that we all are absolutely passionate about, and that is our library service. That is books in general, books and magazines, the ability to access the world's information that is in print. I have listed and publicly followed five priorities for NLS, and I'm going to kind of go through those and talk about what's happening in each of those areas. The first priority is expanding the collection. NLS has traditionally done about 2,000 talking books a year and maybe up to 500 Braille books a year, but that's not enough. So we're doing more. One of the things that we are doing is taking advantage of all the work that our network libraries are doing in each of the states. Kim and her library in Massachusetts has a fantastic recording program. There are fantastic recording programs in Oklahoma, in Texas, in Washington, and many, many of the states. They're doing a lot of work, but a lot of that work is kind of hard to find if you're one of us. So we are opening up BARD to put locally produced materials on BARD so that you can find them and download them and read them. And so that your network library can find them easier too. Well, I looked at it on Friday, there were 23. That's not a lot, but it's only a start. 23 titles up there that have been produced by our network libraries. They are designated as DBC for Digital Book Cooperating Library and DBN, which is a somewhat different category. But if you want to find them, you can put in the search box on bar DBC and it'll list them all and DBN and it'll list all those. So we have everything from little children's stories that are Choctaw folklore from Oklahoma to the important people of Missouri, which is about 72 hours worth, to the women of Massachusetts. We're getting some really nice regional things to add to the collections. There will be more coming. We're having to make sure all the processes are in place before libraries can upload. So we've been adding Braille to WebRail and now to BARD from network libraries for a long time, and there's about 1,200 of those up there. So another way that we are working on expanding the collection, because we know that 2,000 titles a year is just not enough, is working with commercial audio producers. We have made agreements with four major audio publishers to get their audio recordings at no cost to NLS, and then we are able to take the ones that we choose and put them into talking book format and get them out much, much more quickly than we can if we have to record them ourselves. So I took a quick look at BARD on Friday to see how many commercial audio books 
were on the recently added list, which runs for 30 days. So since June 11th, we've added 51 commercial audio books. And of those, 16 of them have 2014 copyrights. You know, analysts used to say, "Mm, you know, a couple years, if you're lucky. But now we're getting 2014 copyrights right up there. So I'm very happy about that. We continue to be working with the Tiger Project, which is a way of getting some international titles. We're looking to increase our foreign language that way. We're also getting some things from Canada in Braille that are in UEB so that those of you who are worried about UEB could look at it and try it and say, oh, you know, this isn't so bad. We are converting our analog titles to digital on a regular basis, and we're doing about four to 5,000 a year. We're hoping that we will be able to replace all of our cassettes in the next three to four years. In What's New, you will see that there are a lot of additions to our music program. We continually add scores and books and that sort of thing. You know, I used to kind of think the music program was all about piano lessons. And it's not. I just was reading something that's one of those music appreciation kind of things. And it was done by somebody who would talk about something and then he would play samples to say, see what I mean? And, you know, it's really pretty nice. And there's a lot of that sort of thing in there as well. We are getting access to the Smithsonian Folkways collection as well. And not only are we going to put those into digital format, we're going to put the liner notes in there too. Another thing that we are beginning to dabble with is putting multiple titles on a cartridge if they are part of a series. So you might see some series coming through 1 to 5, 6 to 11 or whatever. And we also have on BARD about 10 magazines that are available for download. You've been able to get them through your network library for a long time. They're done by local recording groups, but you can download them from BARD now. They're not in the magazine program yet for some technical reasons, but they definitely are on BARD. The next thing that we're doing is to leverage technology to get more books and get them faster and better. One of the things that we are doing with regard to that is... Last fall, we produced Bard Mobile for the iOS. We've had real good response from Bard Mobile, but we're not resting on our laurels. Staff are working very hard along with our contractors to make the next version of Bard Mobile for the iOS system. And we heard that you wanted a sleep timer. So we're adding a sleep timer. And a cool thing that we're adding to the sleep timer is... One of your options will be 15, 30, 45, 60, and end of chapter. The Braille aspect of Bard Mobile is also being enhanced. The search feature is a little funky. We're fixing that. Adding a new hotkey so that if there's a blank page, you don't have to arrow down through all the blank lines and things like that. And some other improvements will be that you'd be able to add to your wish list directly in the program from recently added. Now, those of you who are Android users, we haven't forgotten about you. We are working on that program, but we've had some hitches. And one of the hitches that we have recently had to make a decision about has to do with Google's Braille support. So we are not going to be able to have Braille support in our initial release of the Android version. This is unfortunate because I'm a very strong proponent of Braille in all of its forms, and I'm very sorry about that. But Google hasn't given it enough priority to actually fix the problems, so we're stuck. Uh, We will be working on the first 
iteration of that, though it's going to look a lot like the iOS version, and it's going to act a lot like the iOS version. On BARD, one new thing that you may not be aware of is that you now can subscribe to your magazines on BARD. And what that basically means is that if you choose to subscribe, it will put the issues of the magazines automatically on your wish list. So you don't have to go hunt them and wonder if they've come. You can just look at your wish list. And if you choose, you can have a notification emailed to you that says your magazine issue is available. We have also released what is called the API, which I forget what that means, something program interface. Application program interface. Thank you, Kim. Uh, We've released that to third-party vendors so that they can use it to make some improvements in their products. So HumanWare's Victor Reader Stream, you're going to be able to go to BARD. Um, I think they said they'd have that out in August. And APH is working on it, thinking, uh, by the end of the year. And there's some other um, software vendors who are working with that as well. So we're happy to see that because I know there are some of you who don't have iOS devices and who do have Victor Reader Streams that can take advantage of that sort of thing. There are some other things that we're doing technology-wise, some of which are internal, but one of them is we are working on the requirements for the next version of the digital talking book machine. We have a lot of those at the moment, so we don't need to replace them right now, but we do need to look forward to what we want in the new talking book machine. So if you have ideas about things that you'd like to see in the new talking book machine, let me know. We're still working on the basic requirements for what's going to be improved. You know, when I checked into the hotel here today, I sat down at a desk and I saw that there was a Braille document right there and it told me that they were going to lock up my credit card and that if I trashed my room, I was going to have to pay for it and all those things that you sign off every time you come into a hotel, but I've never seen them before. I was thrilled to see this Braille there. Thank you for anybody who had anything to do with that. And then they handed me the TV listings, the uh, room service menu, and an evacuation plan. All of those things were really very exciting because Braille literacy is something that gives me equality with my sighted peers. But in order for that to be really meaningful, I've got to have something to read. So I was excited about that. I really, really was. A year ago, Kim and I cooperated on putting on the Braille Summit. And the goal there was to find out where NLS should go in the future with our Braille program. We have posted the report of that summit on our webpage. And if you go to www.loc.gov NLS, you can find the report if you're interested in reading it. Some of the recommendations that were made in the report were to provide a refreshable Braille display at no cost to patrons. Now, that's a tall order, but it is a dream that I have and I hold and I'm working toward. We need some new technology to make it really feasible, I think, but we are working toward that. There's another suggestion that we vary the quality of and or the publication medium for books depending upon their use and their expected shelf life. You've seen some things that are like quick braille or jiffy braille or that kind of thing, and that's what this recommendation was about, to say, just give it to us quick. And with translation programs being better, people were thinking that that might be a good thing. We haven't decided yet how to implement that, but it's something that was recommended. Um, Working with publishers to acquire source text so that translation could be done more quickly. We are working with that. We have an agreement with one publisher, and we're working on more to get e-book files that we'd be able to use for Braille translation. 
We're not looking at this point, by the way, at doing full text-to-speech books instead of talking books. We're not, 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 not looking at doing that. But there are some other uses for it. Expanding the use of tactile graphics in NLS materials. This is something that I'm also very excited about, doing some experimenting to see what we can do. They've been very expensive to do the way we've always done them, and we need to find new ways of doing them. To build support for efforts to update Braille technology, specifications and methods for selection, production, and distribution, including production on demand. These are all suggestions that came out of the Braille Summit. These are all things that we're looking at. This didn't come out of the Braille Summit, but we are looking for new Braille producers because we feel like we have lost the capacity that we need to do enough Braille. We are working on the UEB training materials for the transcribers. They should be done by the first of next year so that transcribers can start implementing them in 2015 because NLS is planning to implement UEB in 2016. We will have some sample things up. We do now have some sample things up that you can look at and read if you've got access. And we'll be distributing materials as well so that you can start to get a look at it. It's really not that bad. And it's quite easy to read, especially for the kind of material that NLS does. We're looking at new Braille formats as well. How do you make a Braille book in electronic format that has all the features of a good, well-formatted Braille book, but all the navigability of a talking book? The quality of NLS materials is something that some people have had some concern about. The materials that are produced by NLS, by our contractors, to NLS specifications will retain the quality that you are used to. And if you don't like things that don't have NLS quality and you are a BARD user, you can just check something on BARD and make sure that all you ever see are NLS books. You'll be missing a lot, but for some people that makes a lot of difference, and we recognize that. We are also including commercial audio. And commercial audio recordings, we do not have the control over that you would have if you were ordering your narrators around. So all we can do with the commercial audio is say it goes or it doesn't. And there are some that we have opted out of, but I think that all in all, they're pretty good, actually. The A to D conversion, sometimes the, the sound quality coming from old recordings is a little bit less than we would perhaps want for optimal, but again, getting them digitally is probably worth it. And one concern that some people have expressed is the locally produced audio, but I'm here to tell you that the locally produced audio is awesome. Those libraries are doing a great job on these. And talking book topics and Braille book review. We changed the format in January to have a different layout so that you could find the section that you are interested in. If you like to read romances and you really don't care about history, you can jump to the romance section and not have to read the history stuff. You don't have to wade through the young adult if you don't like young adult. We have had some issues with which way to go with the order form because people who use the audio prefer them in the order of the audio and people who use the print seem to prefer a numerical order. So any feedback would be well received. The other priority that we have is to actually increase the number of people who use our service. We know that about 650,000 people used our service last year. And we know that the estimates, I keep seeing numbers anywhere from 3 to 20 million in terms of people who are eligible because of vision loss. So we did a survey, and one of the things that they said is we ought to advertise. 
Well, yeah. So we are working on a contract with a public relations firm to get more information out about the NLS program. One of the things that we're looking at doing is more social media. We have a blog up now. It's called Music Notes. We're, that was kind of putting the toe in the water. We're going to do more blogging. We're going to be looking at Twitter. We're going to be looking at Facebook and those sorts of things here in the next year or so. And we're also revamping our website. So we are doing public relations things. We'll be working through our network libraries and some other ways to do that. But the thing is that if you know people who could benefit from NLS service, please tell them about it and encourage them to try it because it's something that so many people come to the libraries and they say, oh my gosh, if I'd only known about this five years ago, they would have had five years of joy and pleasure and access that they missed out on. We are working with the Bureau of Engraving and Printing to help distribute those currency readers. Thank right. you very much. That was Karen Kinninger, director of the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped of Washington, D.C. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. The American Council of the Blind works tirelessly with software and operating system manufacturers to improve the accessibility of their products. During the 2014 Annual Conference and Convention of ACB, Eve Anderson, leader of the Core Accessibility Engineering Team at Google, explained how Google now addresses accessibility throughout the product development process. It's really a pleasure and an honor for me to be here on behalf of Google. And I'd like to tell you today a little bit about what we're doing at Google in order to make our products more and more accessible. And my goals are to, first of all, show you that we're serious about accessibility. We don't want to launch our products that are inaccessible, get feedback on them, and then go back and put Band-Aids on them. That's not sustainable, and it's not fair to people who have purchased or are using our products. And so we have made these changes with the goal of incorporating accessibility into the design, engineering, and testing of our products. So first, I'd like to give you a little bit of background on Google. Google, as you probably know, is an innovative company. And one of the reasons it's innovative is because people are given a lot of individual freedom. We don't have a top-down management culture. Rather, individuals are able to experiment, and small teams launch products rapidly and creatively. And that makes it hard to mandate accessibility. Now, what we've done is we've created a core accessibility team. This is actually a team that grew organically over the last several years, but now it's become bigger and more structured and more systematic. We have on the team, of course, engineers working on accessibility, but we also have people in user experience design and research. We have test engineers. We have program managers who work with all of Google. We have a tech writer who is completely devoted to accessibility writing about our products. And we have people focused on education to make sure that all Google employees can receive accessibility education. Now this is in addition to the product teams themselves 
which have the responsibility of engineering and designing accessibility in their products. In terms of education, something that we instituted within the last year is accessibility training for all incoming engineers in our major engineering centers. Our major engineering centers at Google, by the way, are Mountain View, California, New York, and Zurich, Switzerland. And now, in the first or second week of each engineer's education at Google, because they all go through training when they start, they have a hands-on workshop where they are taught step-by-step step how to make a web application accessible, and they go through it, and they do it right there. We've also launched over 10 internal courses for Google employees at all stages of their careers. So we have courses targeted for user experience designers to make sure that we can get the design right from the beginning. We have courses for user experience researchers so that they can perform user studies to make sure that people with all kinds of needs are represented in the user studies. There are courses for engineers working on web applications, Android applications, iOS applications, and of course for testers. That's a very important component of it. We even have a course for business people so that they can understand when they speak to clients the accessibility requests of those clients and then give feedback back to the product teams. We also are sponsoring Code School, which is an external program. Google didn't develop it, but Code School is an online program designed to teach people how to become software engineers because there's a huge shortage of software engineers in the world. And Google has recently announced that it will pay the tuition of any student with a disability. A few other things that we've introduced within the last year, we have created user experience and engineering accessibility standards so that people know exactly what they need to do when they're designing, engineering, and testing their products. Every year there's a conference that Google holds. It's called I.O. It's in San Francisco. It's pretty huge. And a lot of engineers from around the world attend I.O. For the first time this year, we made an announcement of our public design guidelines so that people designing Android applications can have a consistent user interface. And in these guidelines, we included accessibility guidelines from the very beginning. One thing that has really pleased me working with Google employees across the whole company is that over the last year, my team, the core and accessibility engineering team's relationship with the rest of Google has changed quite a bit. It used to be us pushing them to make their products more accessible. And now, more often than not, it's them coming to us to ask us for advice and help. Another thing we've been doing quite a bit of recently is holding user studies. We've had user studies recently 
in New York, Zurich, and Mountain View with people who are blind and low vision in order to better understand how they use our products. And we've made quite a few changes as a result of that. We're also sponsoring research dedicated to accessibility, so universities doing research. We have faculty research awards that now are targeted specifically for people doing accessibility work. So I told you a little bit about some process improvements, but I also want to highlight one area of tangible improvement. And we're making improvements in many, many products, but this is just one that I thought I'd share with you. We have a suite called Docs and Drive, which includes online documents and spreadsheets and slides within Drive, which is a file sharing system. And this system has been adopted by many universities and workplaces, as well as individuals. So it's a very important system to make accessible because people's education and their livelihood depends on it being accessible. Over the last year, we have greatly improved accessibility for JAWS, NVDA, VoiceOver, and our own screen reader, ChromeVox. Everything is now keyboard accessible. And we've also introduced refreshable Braille display support for docs and slides. One of the main benefits of using Google Docs and Drive over a traditional desktop system is the ability to collaborate with other people. So we've recently put in better collaboration tools so that if you are, for example, editing a document and your colleague is editing the same paragraph of the document, it'll alert you to the fact verbally that somebody else is editing your paragraph. We've also made revision history completely accessible, which means that if your colleague messes up your document, you can easily go back to a previous version of it. The newest version of Drive is one of the first products that was built with accessibility from the ground up. They took accessibility into consideration when designing the product, when building it, when testing it, and they ran extensive user studies and made extensive improvements to the product in response to the user feedback that they received. And I just want to read one quote from the University of Michigan, the Chief Information Officer, Laura Patterson. She wrote... The latest improvements in Google Drive and Docs for users of assistive technology are a major step forward and exemplify Google's commitment to making their products available to all members of our community. So one of the most important things I want to leave you with is that we're making huge progress in making our products accessible, but we recognize that we still have a long path ahead and we'll keep going along that path. Google believes that every single person in the world has the right to an education and to jobs that are relevant in the information age and to communication tools and to entertainment. And Google wants to be part of that solution. So thank you to all of you for giving feedback, for giving your support, 
Thank you to the ACB for inviting us, and thank you, Kim. That was Eve Anderson, director of the Core Accessibility Engineering Team at Google. ACB is very pleased that, once again, Google was also a sponsor of the annual conference. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide, on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition, and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.